If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. We are going to continue our series of In the Fire, the book of Daniel. And you and we have gone over many weeks, many weeks, many weeks now. Today is week seven that we have gone over the book of Daniel. We have seen the the guys that are Daniel, the three Hebrew guys that were taken captive. They were told that they were going to be brainwashed. They were going to change their language. They wanted to change the way they ate. They wanted to change everything. So they wanted to pretty much brainwash these guys that they were taking captive. And it did not happen because they stood on the word of God. They stood on what they believed God was speaking to them. But we didn't just see that. We saw three Hebrew men that were also thrown into a fiery furnace. Amen. They were not just thrown into the fiery furnace. They were thrown because of what they believed, because they would not bow down to any other idol or any other God. And so they stood up and when King at the time, remember King Nebuchadnezzar threw them in, King Nebuchadnezzar had to stop and ask, how many people did you throw in? Because they didn't see three people in the fiery furnace. They saw four because Jesus was walking amongst them. But it didn't just stop there. We talked about in Daniel chapter five, we saw the handwriting on the wall. Y'all remember that? Wherever the party was over, right? The party was over for, what was his name? King Belshazzar. For King Belshazzar, the party was over. But then we saw the King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and what it meant and how he became King Nebuchadnezzar, how he was King Nebuchadnezzar, and how he became Nebuchadnezzar. And the king fell off because he knew who the one true king was. Amen? How many of us know who the one true king is this morning? Amen? So, that, and then we saw Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And we didn't just read the front knowing what happened. He got thrown in. And we didn't just see the back of it that, oh man, he just, God saved him. God kept those lions shut. But we saw what happened in the middle. And so, today, I know you're saying, well, what about chapter 7? What about chapter 8? What about the end chapters? Because today is going to be our last study on Daniel. And those chapters, let me tell you, chapter 7 and 8 is a very strong book, okay, or chapters. Those two chapters are all about prophecy. And then the end chapters are all about the end times. And in my study, I mean, you can ask my wife. I mean, God was dealing with me this whole entire week. I'm like, God, but we're, I was trying to go through books 1 through 12. Come on, God. He said, Pat, he said Jacob. He said, I don't ever want you to give anybody a lick of something and not know what they're tasting. That is what he told me. And in the minute, in, in, I know it's like a weird, like, lick, what? Who eat what? Okay. I know it's weird, but it interpreted in my mind. And it was kind of like, okay, God, I see what you're saying. He doesn't want you just to get a little bit and then have all these questions rambling through. Well, what about this at the end of times? What about this in prophecy? And so hopefully this year I'll be able to go over the prophecy and at the end of times and have a study of what it is. So you don't just get a taste, but you know what you're eating, okay? That is what I believe God is wanting this morning. So today, as we end Daniel, as we end the series In the Fire, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9. 
And in, the, in Daniel chapter 9, we are going to see three things that I believe that we are going to see in Daniel chapter 9. And you're going to want to write this down. It's Lord, hear us. Everybody say, Lord, hear us. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, help us. Okay, so those are the three that we're going to be going over. All the verses, I'm going to be going over many verses this morning, and so they will all be up on the screen. So please do not give Brother Ethan in the back a hard time because he's got a lot of scriptures he's got to keep up with me, okay? So you got this, bro. You ready? Here we go. Here we go, man. So the first one was, Lord, hear us. Lord, hear us. And if I don't, if I don't say, I, I'm thinking that we need to make sure that we must learn to cry out, Lord, hear us. We must learn to cry out, Lord, hear us. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, I hope you're there, looking towards the end of the section of Daniel chapter 9, I want you to go to verse 17. In verse 17, the very first part there, it says, Daniel says, Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant. Hear the prayer of your servant. Now, we're going to be touching a lot today on scripture. So you can either keep up or, or look at the screen because here we go. In 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, King Solomon spoke to God and he said in verses 28 through 30, Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day toward the place of which you said my name shall be there that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place verse 30 and may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place here in prayer your dwelling place and when you hear Forgive. Everybody say forgive. And so here you have King Solomon just saying, hear our prayer, O God. He's saying, hear our prayer. And in Psalms, it's actually, hear our prayer is mentioned over eight times of hear our prayer, O God. And so Daniel is praying here. In this chapter, he's praying. And as he's praying, he's seeking the Lord. And notice the background of the prayer. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, we're going to be looking at these three verses. You'll notice that we're told here about the date of the prayer down in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And so here you have the date. And I know what some of y'all are saying. Well, pastor, I didn't see no March 8th on there. I didn't see no 2020. I didn't see a date of 1000 BC. I didn't see a date. What are you talking about? The date is within the name. The date is within the name. And so that tells us that this would have happened somewhere around 538 BC. The very same year, by the way, that the events of Daniel chapter 5 took place, you know, with King Belshazzar, the one with the handwriting on the wall. It happened during that same exact time. And that very night, King Darius and the Med conquered the Babylon, the 
Babylon and killed Belshazzar. And so you have here the understanding, the background, the date of the prayer. But what prompted the prayer is found in verse number two. If you're still there, say amen. amen. Look in verse two. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood, uh, I understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet. Through who? Jeremiah. Jeremiah that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And so Daniel hears this coming. He hears this recording. And how many of you ever um, journal? How many of you ever journal? Maybe you, maybe you just write, right? You, just, you may have a prayer journal. Maybe you, I, I know my wife, she always has a prayer journal. She'll get up in the morning and when she has her time with God, she'll have that journal open. She'll be writing things down that she feels God speaking to her. She'll be writing prayers down. She'll be writing things that are happening in our life so we can reflect when we're negative and we see something positive. She has all this stuff written down. So how many show of hands ever journal? Okay. That is not very many of us. Okay, man. Wow. That's, that's a lot less than I thought, man. I'll tell you what, but this right here, so this chapter, chapter 9, is Daniel pretty much journaling what he is praying for us. He is journaling this prayer. And if you'll remember, Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel, and Daniel knew that Jeremiah was a prophet, and he believed that the words Jeremiah wrote were the words of God. And so they were accepted as scripture the very moment that they were written. So you are going to want to jump over to Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah chapter 29. And so here you have Daniel. He's reading Jeremiah's prophecy and he's understanding as he reads the words of Jeremiah that Israel's captivity in Babylon was only going to last 70 years. Everybody say 70 years. And so he remembers back, he remembers back and he understands that he was taken captive in the first wave of the captivity somewhere around 606 BC. And so he's doing all the calculation in his mind. So 70 years would bring the end of the captivity and that would be followed by the restoration of the people to the city of Jerusalem around 536 BC. So Daniel is adding all of this up in his mind. He's wondering, when is it going to happen? When is the 70 years going to be up? And so if you remember what Jeremiah wrote, I want you to look in Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to start in verse 10 real fast. Verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now, verse 11, I'm going to read it in, in NIV version because I think many of us know what the NIV version is. Many kids in a couple months, in a few months, are going to be graduating and they're going to be using this scripture as one of their own, as what they stand on. Maybe you even have this next verse on your wall or on your pillows or, or somewhere on your decor at home. But Jeremiah 29 11 is so very well known. Man, those kids are having a great time, aren't they? I'll tell you what, 
In verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a what? Future. So it's all in the, it's all in the context of this captivity. But then verses 12 through 14 says, Then you will call upon me and go pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find who? Me. When you search for me with all of your heart. Verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. From all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So you're going to want to jump back over to Romans now if you're going to want to keep up in the Bible. And so Daniel is reading Jeremiah's prophecy through this. He's reading Jeremiah's prophecy. And as he's reading this scripture, it prompted him to begin praying and pleading the promises of God. And Daniel says, and Daniel said, you said that the desolation would only last how many years? 70 years. That's just two, way, two years away. So please listen to your servant's prayer and restore the city and the sanctuary that bear your name. And if we learn anything from Daniel here, it is that we must plead the promises of God. We need to learn to plead the promises of God. And you know, so, so, so far too many times in our world today, our prayers go something like this. Hey, God, will you help me? God, will you fix this problem? God, will you take care of this situation? God, will you heal this sickness or this disease? But here's the thing. When we pray those kind of prayers, and I don't want you to think that I'm dogging these prayers. They're not bad prayers at all. They are not bad prayers. But when we pray those kinds of prayers, we don't always know God's will in all those particular circumstances and situations. And so we can't really be sure how God is going to answer. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans. If you're there, say amen. amen. Romans chapter 8. Verses, verse 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we taught. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. To the will of God. Amen? Amen. Now you're going to want to go over to 1 John. I'm telling you, we're going to be all over this morning. And so when we pray, we can be confident that God does take whatever we asked for and he starts to mold it into the will of God. And by the way, do y'all understand that God always answers prayer? Yes. 
Do you really believe that, that he always answers prayer? Now, it might not be always the way we think he's going to answer. It might not always be the way we want him to answer. And it might not be even something we expect. But he does always answer. And he always answers in three ways. He answers with a yes. Everybody say yes. yes. Everybody say no. no. And wait. And wait. So he always answers in three ways. Yes, no, or wait. So in a basic sense, prayer doesn't make heaven line up with us. Prayer gets us to line up with heaven. And so when we're praying, and let me just add, have you ever been praying and you started off a really long prayer and the more your spirit is praying the more back in line you become the more peace you get have you ever noticed that when you're spending time in prayer you start to have that flood of peace over you you start to say wow okay god i might not understand anything what you're doing but i i know i'm in peace that you are doing something in our life and so that is exactly what it's saying. Hmm. So, when you plead the promises of God from what you learned from the Bible, you know that you're asking according to God's will. And some of us are even saying, well, I don't know how he's answering I don't know why I can't hear him. What is he trying to say? Okay, sometimes we've got to pick up the Bible. Sometimes we've got to read through it. Because God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. We can plead the promises of what he's already given us. And so if you're in 1 John, and we're going to look at chapter 5, verse 14. It says in verse 14 of chapter 5, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, what does it say? He hears us. His will. He hears us. Have you ever been frightened? By show of hands, I think that's every single one of us. Have you ever been frightened? Okay, I've been frightened a few times. I've probably scared my mom, and I, I, almost to the point of a heart attack, okay? I have scared her quite a bit growing up. One time my dad, and I shared this story, one time my dad was driving a Sea-Doo. And, and we were about to board up. We were about to take, we were about to get out of the water, and there was waves coming in. They were backing up the truck, and my brother, who was behind me, my dad was in front of me. I was little, and so I was there. And my brother said, hey, do you know what a donut is? No, I don't know. What's a donut? I think it's something you eat, right? No, that's not it. So he was like, Dad, can we show him what a donut is? And so they, we took out, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Truck's not here yet. They went out into the water, and we went out to Medina, uh, Medina River, and we started doing a donut. Well, we hit a wave. And when we hit the wave, we bounced, and the whole entire sea flipped upside down. The next thing you hear is my mom yelling, where's Jacob, where's Jacob, where's Jacob? To come to find out, I was stuck up under the sea okay? I had an air pocket, so I was good. 
like I was breathing. I don't know what everybody else's deal was, but I gave her a pretty close heart attack. My dad's hand reached under, grabbed me, pulled me out, figured out where I was. But that scared her. Or maybe it's like the time when we were traveling back from a conference. We're traveling back from a conference and it is raining cats and dogs. It's so hard you can't see but five feet in front of you. We're going five to ten miles an hour and we're going extremely slow. We get through a tunnel. We get on the other side of the tunnel and we see this tree, okay? I'm saying tree just fly over and we're going, what is going on? We can't, we don't even know what's happening. So we stop, we pull over because you can't see. Well, the rain, like night and day, just stops. We're like, well, that was weird. Let's keep going. So we're driving. Come to find out, there was a tornado just a couple miles in front of us that had just gone through. Carports were torn down. Trees were all laying down. We just missed it. Let me tell you, we needed a diaper, okay? That's what we needed, okay? We were frightened. We were frightened. We were scared. We were worried. And so many of us have been at that point or we are at that point where something is taking place in our life. Maybe not that drastic. Maybe it's something small. Maybe you're frightened or fearful because of your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you're frightened. You're worried. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, I just said this scripture. For God has not given us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's what we need. That's what we need to do is in those moments of fear, we can say, God, this fear is not of you. I rebuke it in your name. I stand on what your word says because I've read it and I know it. And I'm going to stand on your word knowing that I do not need to fear because your word says you give us peace in mind. So we need to line up with heaven. Spend time in his word. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like you have an enemy? You have an enemy, maybe, maybe, um, maybe someone that hates you. Maybe it's an individual. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's your spouse. I don't know. Okay. Do you have an enemy though? You're just kind of like, Hey man, like, yo, like this ain't where something's happening. Okay. We need prayer. Okay. You have an enemy. And so many times, what does the Bible say about enemies? What does the Bible say about love? God tells us to love our wives. If he tells us to love our neighbors, if he tells us even to love our enemies, it's not something that you cannot do. You can do that because God has promised you can. God has promised you can. All you've got to do is ask because he hears you. He hears you. And you might be saying, well, pastor, fine. Fine, I hear what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I'll start loving them, okay. But I ain't going to show it. <laughs> okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, like, you're one of those people that you walk over and they got this look on their face and you're like, oh, they hate me. <laughs> they hate me. Well, what they say? Nothing. They said nothing, but they hate me. Okay, 
I always tell my wife, you've got to be careful, babe, because her face will say everything. <laughs> and I've got to say, babe, I love you, but don't do, what am I doing? You're, you're, you're making these faces. Well, what face is that? Well, don't, just don't do it. Just don't do it. I'll tell you later. Let's go. <laughs> so I've got to tell her. But how many of us do that? Even I will do that. And so what about our attitude? What about the attitude of his prayer? The attitude of his prayer is found in chapter 9, verse 3. He says, then I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, there's a whole lot going on in this first year, this one year that we've been talking about. So I want to kind of unpack it as we go along. And as we look at this verse, I want to unpack it. The attitude of Daniel here is one, if you'll notice, of earnestness and humility. It's the same kind of emotion and attitude that Jesus exhibited there at the Garden of Gethsemane. As he pleaded with the Father, Lord, not my will, but your will. If possible, take this cup from me. And the Bible says there in Luke chapter 22, verses 44, it says, and, be, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. It's the same kind of attitude that the early church had in Jerusalem. If you remember when, when they prayed, for Peter, who was in prison, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but what? Constant. Constant. That prayer literally means earnest. So Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Earnest prayer. And so it was the attitude of Jesus in the garden. It was the attitude of the early church, and it should be our attitude as well. But so many times, earnestness is missing from our prayers. Most prayers, now look right here, most prayers, now don't raise your hand. I'm even going to put my hands in my pocket so I don't get myself in trouble, okay? How often when we're praying do we catch ourselves just going through the motion? We pray the same routine prayer over and over. We just say the same thing. It's over and over and we learn the little code words of what to say. The buzzword, if you will, that we've always heard be prayed. It's a mechanical prayer. It's a mechanical prayer. It's without passion. So what do we do? What do we do? How can we be earnest in our prayer? I think the writer of Hebrew gives us a hint that can help us when we have the lack of passion in our prayer life. Earnestness in our prayer comes 
when we put ourselves in the position of the people we're praying for. The situation that we're praying for. You know, there's a story of a young pastor. He was working one week and he was typing up his sermon and he had all these ideas and, and sometimes you just got to write them down as they come, otherwise you'll forget them or lose them. And so this young pastor was writing down his sermon and the secretary came in and said, Pastor, Pastor, there was a young little child outside that got hit by a vehicle. The ambulance is already here. And he said, okay, okay, I'll be right there. Let me get my thought down and I'll be right outside. And she said, no, pastor, you don't understand. It's your daughter. What do you think he did? Got up and ran. The earnestness of others. Our identity with the needs that make all the differences in the world. We have people get on the prayer list. And do you ever notice when you get on the prayer list, you can't ever get off unless you die? You know, like, is there anything I can pray with you? Absolutely. You can always, I'll take your prayer, right? So you never get off the prayer list until you die. But we need to pray and learn to pray earnestly. And so you have Daniel praying here. And the humility of Daniel also, not just his earnestness, but his humility is seen externally in his sackcloth and fasting. The attitude of humility by and just in necessary in prayer. And so both of these external acts that are using from the Old Testament, again, they're outward signs of a heart that was grieving over sin. And if you remember, Nineveh, repented of their sins, and the king declared a fast. They all put on sackcloth. They covered their heads with ashes. And it says it in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. But the problem is this. It's easy for the external display to become a substitute for the internal reality. And that's why God says through the prophet of Joel in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, he says, now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. And let me just say, if you're not like, well, I never understood what fasting is. I never got what fasting is. Come see me. That's a completely another subject. I will love to talk to you what fasting is. Because fasting is a very powerful tool in prayer. It is so vitally important. But Daniel shows us that we should come into the presence of the Lord with an earnestness that storms the gates of heaven, but also a humility that realizes that he is sovereign and we are sinners. That's right, we're sinners. You realize that we don't even deserve to make a request or requests to God. Much less feel like we can somehow twist his arm to get him to do what we want. God's not our bellhop. God is God. Again, aligns us with heaven. It doesn't get heaven to line up with us, we line up with heaven. 
And just by the way, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You understand where that verse is now? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's getting us to line up with heaven. So last question before we close. How aligned are you with Christ? How amazed are people by your boldness for Christ? If I was to give you, I want you to picture. You always see the games and you always see the stuff, uh, the numbers 1 through 10. 10 being you are the closest to God you ever can be. 1 being you ain't close, okay? Picture yourself on this spectrum. Numbers 1 through 10. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm, uh, maybe you're being honest and you're saying, well, I'm like a seven or eight. When everybody around you, if I asked your coworkers, if I asked everybody around you, they'd be like, oh no, he's a nine, she's a 10. Or maybe you're saying you're a four or five when you're really a two or three. Where you go to work and your coworker says, wait, I didn't know you were a Christian. But why do they say that? Because they see no fruit in you. One of the greatest things, and you'll hear it from other preachers and you've probably heard it before, is wherever you are, it is your mission field. And in college, we knew that. My wife and I knew that God had us in college, and that campus was our mission field. And we always would ask God, God, use us. Use us. But God, let people not just know it because we talk about it, but let people see it. Let your radiance shine through us. And we could tell you story after story of what's happened where a, um, a professor has gone up to my wife and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yes, ma'am. Can you pray for me? I'm battling with A, B, C, and D. And I need your prayer. So where are you on this spectrum? Where are you on the spectrum? Because I really do think today, especially in today's time, we need to pray with that type of boldness, with that earnestness, where people don't have to see it because they can feel your presence when you walk in the room. We need to realign ourselves. Stop asking God to be our bellhop and say, God, what do you want? Because truth be told, we don't deserve what he has given us. And yet some of us call ourselves a Christian. And nobody even sees it. You call yourself a disciple. You call yourself a disciple for the one who sent his son to die for you. And yet you're expecting him to be your bell. Where are you on that spectrum? Where are you with your line, your walk with Christ? Can we all stand? You know, going through all of Daniel and 
through many chapters, we learned some very, very challenging things. We learned some great challenges of what we need to work on. But we've also been very, very encouraged. Encouraged of what we need to do to get that next step towards Christ. That next step of where he wants us. That next step of where you're going to be. Will you take the boldness and start declaring his victory? Do people see you in H-E-B and start wondering what's different about that person? Do you go into the bank and the cashier behind the bank is saying they are a million dollars in debt and yet the smile on their face, they have a peace. Do they see something different within you? Are you walking with boldness? Are you lining yourself up earnestly in prayer? Are you walking in what he wants instead of what we want? He knows the desires of our heart. He knows the desires of our heart. But sometimes we forget the way we have to get there is not always the way that he wants us to get there. So with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to pray over you. Because I believe that many of us, if not maybe all of us, need to begin to realign ourselves with his word. What his word says. Speaking in boldness. Speaking with courage. Praying earnestly. Knowing that it might not be what life has given us, but what he has given us is greater. What he wants to teach us through it is greater. With every eye closed, if you're saying, I need to realign myself, Pastor, I need to get back under the heaven. I need to get back under. Let his will be done, Pastor. I want him to work in my life. I want to walk in H-E-B and people just ask, what is different about you? Pastor, I need to walk with boldness. I need to start praying earnestly for my mother, for my daughter, for my son. Heavenly Father, I know I got myself in this situation with my finances, but I know that you can get me out if I just follow in your way and do your steps. If that's you, with every eye closed, would you just raise your hand? And right after you raise it, you can put it right back down. Amen. Amen. So many hands are going up. That is so good. That is so good. Knowing that God is in control. God is in control. So Heavenly Father, as we close today, Lord God, as we've learned through this book of Daniel and what you've showed us, Lord God, the things that have challenged us, the things that have brought us back down from this world to know that you are the glory, that you can have all the glory, Lord God, that your will will be done, the encouragement that you have given us, the life speaking over us, Lord God, your presence speaking over us. 
Lord God, I thank you for that. Lord God, I pray over every single one here today that whatever they are going through, whatever is taking place in their walk right now with you, Lord God, whether we see it now or we won't see it for 70 years, I pray that we will walk and pray earnestly every single day and follow in your way. Thank you.